0: We have an exciting episode for you this week. We travel to five countries and visit some of the weirdest attractions on Earth. And on two different continents, we travel deep inside the bowels of the Earth and meet scary guys in red suits. This week on What Am I Doing Here? The The Podcast podcast Goes goes to to hell. Hell. If you work in television, every time you see a TV, in a store, through someone's window, you hope they're watching your show. In Bolivia, that really happened. The Simpsons was on everywhere all the time. As old Mayan women were weaving baskets, they watched the show on tiny black and white TVs. There were actually riots in Bolivia when the government cut Simpsons reruns back from four times a day to three. During my visit, my Bolivian tour guide brought me to his home, a one-room flat with a family of five stuffed into two beds. They didn't have a kitchen, they didn't have a bathroom, but they had every piece of Simpsons merchandise ever made. Simpsons posters lined the walls, Simpsons glasses filled the cupboards, Matt Groening is rich because this guy is broke. The fact that they're obsessed with The Simpsons may be the most normal thing about Bolivia, because it is hands down the strangest country on earth. Like many lunatics, Bolivia has a very normal face that shows the public. The entire eastern half of the country is lush and jungly, boasting Spanish-style towns with charming plazas and public fountains. The only weirdness here is that they have a capital city called Sucre that isn't really the capital, and that the Spanish Inquisition didn't end here until 1834. This is the sensible place to start a trip to Bolivia. You spend a few days in the warm, low-altitude region, working your way slowly west to the chilly heights of the Andes. We, of course, didn't do that. We took an overnight flight straight to La Paz. At 10,000 feet, it's the highest capital city in the world. We were sleep-deprived and low on oxygen and began hallucinating almost immediately. I seemed to be greeted by dozens of tiny indigenous women dressed in native serape, and English bowler hats. It looked like a nationwide meeting of the Sons of the Desert, the Laurel and Hardy fan club. And then I realized I wasn't hallucinating. All the native women were wearing brown English derbies. It seems in the 1920s a shipment of bowler hats was ordered for workers building the Bolivian Railway. The hats they got were too small, so they peddled them to the local women. They've been wearing them ever since, making La Paz look like a casting call for an all-Mayan female production of Waiting for Godot. And that's appropriate, because Bolivia is totally surreal. The deserts sprout forests made of stone. They're giant rock crystals that look just like trees. Beneath them are bubbling hot springs that are cold to the touch. Natural gas seeps through the frigid water, making it look like it's at full boil. Then there's the two lakes. One a frightening blood red, the other an inviting emerald green. But the scary lake is teeming with wildlife, feeding off its red algae. And the green one is eerily deserted because its color comes from arsenic in the water and what do you think Bolivia's most popular music is salsa samba rumba try German classical baroque German missionaries brought the music to Bolivia in the 18th century and like the bowler hats it stuck if you're wondering where the next Johann Sebastian Bach is coming from it might be the jungles of the Amazon But the weird thing that brought us to Bolivia is 4,000 square miles of nothing. A veritable Connecticut of nothing. Some would say Connecticut is a Connecticut of nothing, but screw you. I grew up there. We have Mark Twain's house and a couple of big casinos, and that's about it. The nothing I'm referring to is the Great Bolivian Salt Flat. It's just hard, white salt, stretching flat and featureless in every direction. It's a Salvador Dali landscape, or, if you've taken art history, a De Chirico landscape. Nothing prepares you for this much nothing. I drank a coke then looked for somewhere to set the can down, but there wasn't a bumper or a rise for 40 miles. After the coke I had to pee, but there wasn't a tree to block me or a rock to crouch behind. I walked a thousand yards away and was still in plain view of my guide and my wife. There was nowhere to hide. There were more surprises on the road. Well, (laughs) if there were roads. Everyone drives straight across the plain, mad maxing it. Every few hundred miles, you'd spot a hotel rising from the dust like a mirage. And they're all beautiful, gorgeous, and stylish, and comfy, and unique. They didn't have to be. The weary traveler would have settled for anything. A Motel 6. A Motel 3, even. That was Snagglepuss. We headed deep into the heart of Bolivia, the scenery changing constantly and randomly. Mountain, desert, jungle, mountain, jungle, and then for about 10 miles, Mars. It looked just like Mars. But we finally reached our destination, the graves of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. If you remember the film, or you know actual history, Butch and Sundance fled America for Bolivia where they were gunned down by the Bolivian army. They were laid to rest in a tiny cemetery, unremembered and unvisited. It's in a small town in the middle of nowhere. Actually, it's a mining camp where a hundred families lived in company housing. We'd heard the town had a Butch and Sundance Museum, so we had the sheriff open it up. This is the same guy who unlocked the cemetery for us. Being sheriff means you have all the keys. It was a nifty museum once you brushed aside the decades of dust. It was unremembered and unvisited too. The locals who'd spent their lives in the town had no idea the museum was there. At least two dozen of them came with us to see it for the first time. There were possessions from the two robbers, props from the movie, lots of guns, and even more bowler hats. But now we come to the weirdest encounter in this weird trip to this weird country. We went to the mountain of Potosi, in the city of Potosi, in the municipality of Potosi. It's as close to a mountain of pure silver as you'll find anywhere outside a fairy tale. At one point, sixty percent of the Earth's silver production came out of Potosi. It made Bolivia rich and independent. It's the reason Bolivia is its own country and not some salty part of Peru. Need proof? Bolivia put a picture of the mountain front and center on their flag. Silver has been pulled out of the mountain for 500 years and there's plenty left. That's why there are still independent miners working in Potosi, digging in all directions, turning it into a human ant farm. It's dangerous work. It's estimated that over the centuries, 800,000 miners have died inside the mountain. My wife was trying to make it 800,002. She persuaded a mine operator to let us in. But this was no tour. The place would get a holy fuck on TripAdvisor. The tunnels were dark, narrow, and crumbling. All around us were miners setting off dynamite. There was no plan, no map. We just crawled and slithered our way down toward the heart of the mountain. At one point I squeezed my entire body through a tiny crack and plopped into an enormous open space. It was like being born, but even more traumatic. found myself in a large empty chamber, and then I turned, and seated behind me was Satan. Satan! Satan! It was an eight-foot-tall sculpture of Satan, seated on a throne. It was crude, roughly carved and painted, but it made an impact. It had large red pointy ears, and a larger, redder, even pointier erection. Yes satan had a boner he was surrounded by packs of cigarettes and many bottles of liquor gifts from indigenous miners every morning they take a shot of grain alcohol with satan asking him to keep them safe during the workday ahead at the end of the day they do more shots with satan as a way of saying thanks for not killing me because I had no idea how to get out of there, I did the same. I drank an airline bottle of booze with Satan and asked for his help. I did a second shot and asked them to get my wife out, too. And we did make it back to the surface. Bruised, scraped, and filthy. What can I say? Prayer works. How do I describe the countries of Scandinavia to you? Sweden, Denmark, Norway, and the other one. So vast, so beautiful, all very similar and yet distinctly different. They're like the four Baldwin brothers. Alec Baldwin, Billy Baldwin, Stephen Baldwin, and the other one. Like the Baldwins, the Scandinavian countries are all kind of handsome in exactly the same way. And like the Baldwins, these nations are just a bunch of white folks. Sweden is one of my favorite places and Stockholm is the loveliest capital city on earth. Sweden is definitely Alec Baldwin. Rich, thriving, and versatile. Alec is an Oscar nominee, an Emmy winner. He does drama, he does comedy, but even when he's being funny, it's kind of serious. Like he could punch you in the mouth at any moment. Sweden's like that too. That's why they give out all the Nobel prizes except the Peace Prize. Peace looked at the Swedes and said, peace out. You can give this prize in Norway. Sweden did once have a brooding quality. It was said to have the world's highest suicide rate, but now it's fallen to number 28. Even America is beating it. USA! USA! Oh wait, that's a bad thing. Sweden was home to Ingmar Bergman, so just like Alec, it used to make great movies but not so much anymore. Now it's the land of Abba. It's fat and happy, just like you-know-who. Denmark is the Billy Baldwin of nations. Solid, contented, prosperous. They'd both impress us if we hadn't heard of Alec and Sweden. Billy gave us Backdraft and Flatliners. Denmark gave us Hans Christian Andersen and Tivoli Gardens, an amusement park that feels like Disneyland if they stopped maintaining it back in 1978. Billy's been married to singer China Phillips for 25 years, so both Billy and Denmark have solid relations with China. Wow, that's a stretch. Stephen Baldwin is like Norway. You've heard of it, you know it's out there, you're just not sure what it does. Stephen made one great movie, The Usual Suspects, and one great DVD, Live In It, a Christian-themed skateboard video. Norway, too, has one great of everything. One great playwright, Ibsen. One great composer, Grieg. One great painter, Munch, who painted one great painting. The Scream. Munch knew he had a winner there, so he painted it four different times, then did it in pen and ink, and finally as a lithograph. The Scream is just like Scream, the movie. There's a couple of good ones and a bunch of bad sequels. Norway also has one great sculptor, Gustav Vigeland, but he's a doozy. If you've never heard of him, it's because he never allowed his work to leave the country. But Oslo's Frogner Park... And you gotta love that name. Oslo's Frogner Park has 212 Vigeland sculptures and a monolith with another 121 figures on it. They're all weird. It's hard to pick a favorite, but I'm gonna go with the fat naked guy being attacked by four flying babies. Finally, we come to Finland and Daniel Baldwin. Proof that not every country and not every Baldwin has to be great. You gotta feel for them because they both had long struggles. One with cocaine, the other with Russia. I won't say which has what problem, but in 1998, Daniel was busted for running naked through the Plaza Hotel shouting, BALDWIN! Similarly, Finland shouts... Finlandia! It's a symphonic piece of bombast by Sibelius. It's their one great cultural export. Finland is a lovely green place, but there's not much to it. We booked a city tour of the capital, Helsinki, and one of the highlights was stopping at the river to watch women beat carpets. But Finland has one attraction that even outweirds Frogner Park. I can't believe it exists, even after I visited it. There's a hollowed out mountain above the Arctic Circle built to serve as a fallout shelter in case there's another Chernobyl-type disaster. But the Finns hated to see it sitting empty, so they took this huge underground bunker, accessible only by a 150-foot-long corridor, and they turned it into a Christmas village. There's ice sculptures, a carousel, a kiddie coaster, and piped-in Christmas music. And at the heart of it all, I saw Santa. Santa! Santa! They really tried hard, but none of it makes you forget how dark and claustrophobic the place is. If Dr. Strangelove had been a Christmas movie, it would have had a set like this. Oh, there's two Baldwin sisters, too. They don't act. Let's say they're Iceland and Greenland. What Am I Doing Here is written and performed by Mike Reese and produced by Josh Perillo.